you want to register your attendance here with us, put this in the offering plate. We will take this and uh, send you out some information during the week and just welcome you to the church. Would you open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 is on page 647. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 on page 647. Any kids here, kindergarten to second grade, can go to children's church if they wish, which you'll find through the door over here by the piano, and there'll be teachers out there to meet you and take you, teach you. Proverbs chapter 26, verse uh, 6. So here's a question I was sort of toying with this week. And the question is, is it more perilous for children and teenagers today than it was, say, 50, 60 years ago? And by perilous, I mean the kinds of temptations that kids face today. Is, is it harder to avoid those temptations and to walk in God's ways and not pick paths that are self-destructive? Is it harder to do that today than it was 50, 60 years ago, say, in our culture. And I don't know, I was, I was kind of, at first I was like, well, yes, but then I went back and forth. I think you could answer it either way. You could say, well, look, people, people are sinful. We have a sin nature. And in any time, in any culture, in any era, there, people will always find ways to be drawn into sin and to walk away from God. We don't really need that many excuses to do it. We can find ways to do that. So on the one hand, you can see that similarity. But on the other hand, one might argue that the kinds of uh, temptations that are facing kids and teenagers today are so accessible and so virulent that even though, yeah, we're always sinful people wrestling with this sin nature, these kind of temptations are just so profoundly powerful. I mean, I think of the Internet, which obviously wasn't around 50, 60 years ago, which puts uh, within easily ac- easy accessibility all kinds of moral sewage and all kinds of morally depraved people who can be connected to very easily over the Internet, and things that you can access that maybe when we were kids 50, 60 years ago, wouldn't even know existed, the kinds of things that are out there. Or think about the challenge of drugs today. You know, 50, 60 years ago, you had alcohol, and alcoholism has always been a problem throughout the history of humanity. As long as things have been fermenting, this has been a problem for human beings. And yet, you know, there's something different between alcohol and, you know, methamphetamine and crack and heroin. These are such powerfully addictive substances that, you know, just one or two tries you can find yourself in the position of being an addict. And so you look at that and you go, that is a little tougher. And not only that, you know, you just step back and you look at the messages being sent by this society. And there's something about this modern uh, hooked up world that is so intrusive to our souls. There's something so oppressive about it. I mean, not that there's ever been a perfect, pure society anywhere in the history of humanity, but there's something so in your face and against your soul that you can't escape it. You know, it's in the news and the TV and the advertisements and the computer. You know, where do you go for peace and quiet to think things through? It's just, it's all around us. And so I understand why parents might find themselves staying up late at night worrying or grandparents might be worrying about their grandkids. How are they going to survive in this kind of uh, world with this kind of moral toxicity 
so easily accessible to people. Or maybe you're uh, an uncle or an aunt and you have nephews and nieces and you're over with them in the weekend and you saw things that were happening and you're worried about their spiritual condition. So I understand why people would stay up and why they would be worried and fretting about it. But the good news is that I want to look at this morning is that God has given us something. God has equipped us with something that is powerful, that is His counteractive to the kinds of temptations and trials that kids and teenagers face, even in today's culture. That God has given us a profound tool that is His primary means of guiding and teaching and protecting children so that they can avoid some of those pitfalls in life. And what is it is the number one thing God has given us? And the answer you find in Scripture is parents. That mom and dad have been given by God in order to train and direct and instruct children. That God's primary tool for shaping and guiding and leading kids is parents. And maybe you're like, well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, really, it's parents. And it's easy for us to forget that. We think we are underpowered or we're not equipped or we don't have the skills. But this is God's plan. It's for active parents. And, and I would say, in addition to that, grandparents and aunts and uncles, if you have nephews and nieces, to stand behind the parents and support them in raising children that will glorify God. That's what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 is about. Look at verse 6. It says, Train a child up in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. So here's a great proverb about parenting. This idea of training a child, that word for train means to dedicate or initiate. So it's talking about from the earliest days of the child's formation, training them to seek the Lord and to find the right way. And when they're old, notice, they will not depart from it. Now we should probably be clear about verse 6. This is not a prophecy. This is a proverb. You know the difference, right? You know, this is not a guarantee. If you do A, B is guaranteed to happen. Because we've all seen those families where it's a godly Christian family and they raise all of their children the same way to know the Lord and you know, serve the Lord. And two of the kids end up following the Lord and one of them just goes off in their own direction. And you go, what happened? Same family, same teaching, same instruction. So all that to say that this is not a prophecy, but it is a God-inspired, God-given proverb for parents. And the message of the proverb is, parents, your parenting is the most important factor in shaping the future and direction of your kids. And obviously kids have to make their own decisions and then become adults and all that. But look at the power. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. In fact, this is, in some ways, you could say the message of the book of Proverbs because if you ratchet the camera back a click and we pull back the lens and we look not just at one verse but the whole book of Proverbs, what you find is, what is Proverbs? It is framed literarily as a collection of teachings from a father to his son. So go back to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Look at verse 8. The first thing out of the box after the little introduction, verses 1 to 7 is kind of the the prologue to the whole book. Then it kicks right in, in chapter 1, verse 6, verse 8, sorry. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Or look at chapter 2, verse 1. 
My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Son, I want you to listen to me because I'm going to teach you how to find God and have wisdom in this life. Or look at chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Do you want to have a successful life following God? Then listen to your mom and your dad. That's the teaching. Or chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Chapter 4, verse 1. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. I skip. Chapter 4, verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Chapter 6, verse 1. My son, you see the pattern? My son, my son, my son. So this is a mother and a father teaching their children the way of God. So the whole book is framed, the whole book of Proverbs is framed as instructions from a parent to their children. Parents, moms and dads are God's primary tool for training, guiding, and protecting children and teenagers and sort of launching them off into life. And if we pull the camera lens back yet another click and we look at the Old Testament, we see this is the role that families played in the Old Testament people of Israel. That the fundamental unit was the family unit. And then it was surrounded by the clan and the tribe. But at the center was the family. And in that family, there was a mother and a father who taught their children. So, for instance, uh, look, look, keep a bookmark here in Proverbs. We're going to come back to Proverbs. But turn over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's on page 178. It's the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the book when Moses gives the law of God to the people a second time, the Deutero, second Namas law, the second law giving, Deuteronomy. And you have Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at verse 6. God has just given the Ten Commandments again through Moses. And look what it says in chapter 6, verse 6. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. So, you know, you heard this whole idea. We've heard this before, like, well, I don't really want to teach my kids what to believe. You know, I want them to sort of figure that out for themselves. Impress them. You know, impress means like, impress them on your children. Impress the law of God upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, whatever you're doing, just weave, talk about God and His ways into your conversation. Verse 8, tie them as symbols around your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Some of you maybe have, uh, maybe grew up Jewish or new Jewish families, Orthodox Jewish families, that take this literally. That they, they have uh, phylacteries. They have these little boxes with Scripture in them that they lash onto their hands or onto their foreheads and when they come home they have a little thing by the door called the mezuzah and in that it's like a little tube that they tack onto the door frame and in it is a little copy of scripture so when you come home you you kiss that you honor God's law so they literally put these words into practice but notice this responsibility of sort of surrounding your children with God's teaching this is not a responsibility that's given to the priests or to the Levites or to Moses, but to parents. That parents are the number one people who are to be communicating 
God's truth to children. And at the risk of sort of uh, beating this to death and belaboring the point, I would invite you to click the camera back one more notch and let's look at the New Testament and let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 where we were last Sunday. We're actually in chapter 5. Chapter 5 deals a lot with husbands and wives. Chapter 6 deals with fathers and sons. Page 1160, 1160. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Here's teaching to fathers and mothers. It says in chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God's primary means for guiding, shaping, directing children is moms and dads. That's God's plan. Supported, I would argue, by grandparents supported by aunts and uncles, supporting that family and teaching their children about the Lord. When God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and told them to be fruitful and multiply, He did not create a public school system. He didn't give them a private school system. There was no PBS with educational programming. Mm -hmm. There were no libraries. There wasn't a VBS. There wasn't Sunday school. There wasn't children's church. There was a mom and a dad. And so the family was the church and the father was the pastor. In fact, what a beautiful image for us today, even with the church, even with all those resources that we do have at our disposal. At the center, God's plan is still every family a church, in a sense, and every father the pastor, teaching that family and leading that family. This was God's plan that families and parents would be the ones who'd nurture and raise children. And I just think that's a real challenge for us today because I think one of the tendencies of our world in, in the modern culture is as we sort of segment the world and compartmentalize it, we do that with our children too. And we kind of farm out the teaching responsibilities to our kids. And so rather than really teaching or engaging our kids, we kind of just drive them around and drop them off at places where they get taught and trained. And, you know, we do this with our kids. We take them to soccer or take them to a music lesson and it's easy to even do that with their spiritual instruction we see the church as just another place perhaps to drop off children so they got their physical component they got their musical component and now they got their spiritual component Uh, but you know the role of the church in spiritual education is the church is to buttress and support what's being taught in the home that's how it ideally works is that the family is where god is being taught and then when the kids come to church they hear the church through its ministry saying, yeah, 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 what your parents are saying is right. (laughs) Listen to them. That's right. You know, honor God. Yes, all those things you're being taught at home, that's it. We're saying amen to what the parents are saying at home. This is God's plan for how to do this. And and I just find it it's so challenging to to keep focused on that because we're so busy. We're so over busy. We're so overcommitted with all kinds of things that keep us distracted. Uh, I have all kinds of things I'm busy doing and yet it's possible to go a whole day well, that ever even just sitting down with your kids and looking them in the eye for five minutes and saying, how are you doing today? What's going on with you? You know, to sit down and really connect with your child, even just once a day, can sometimes be a daunting task in the harried pace of the modern life that unfortunately we in part set for ourselves. <clears throat> and yet kids, they still want that. Kids want their parents' involvement. You know, they're like baby birds are programmed to sit there with their mouth open. 
You know, God's hardwired that into birds, and they wait for the food. In the same way, little kids are programmed. They look up to mom and dad, and what mom and dad say is going to shape them. That's the way God designed the process to work. And even when they get older, even when they're teenagers, you're like, well, they don't want, any, they don't want me around anymore. Actually, they do. They're not going to say it, and they don't want it around in the same way they did when they were three, but they still want you involved in their lives. It's just a little different. You've got to be a little sneakier about it, you know, but it's the same. Um, I was talking to a guy in the church, uh, I think it was maybe like a month ago or three weeks ago or something like that, but anyway, he was talking about his high school-age son, and his high school-age son was, he just walked by one day and he was sitting in his room playing Guitar Hero on his uh, PlayStation or Xbox or whatever. So he's playing away in there. And, you know, sometimes when you see your kids distracted with things like that, the temptation is to think, aha, now I can get something done. Good, they're distracted. I can go work on my bills or I can go and finish this project over here. But this wise father didn't do that. This wise father saw an opportunity. And so what he did is he went in and he just sat on the bed next to his son and just watched him play Guitar Hero. And, you know, they didn't talk for a little while. And then he started asking questions about it. And, and the next thing you know, they started talking. And then this guy said, all of a sudden, my son just opened up. And he just started going, ba 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 And couldn't shut him up. He just wanted the dad to sit there and, and just be a part of what he was doing and learn and, and experience it. And then his heart started opening to his father. It just it takes time. It's not programmable. It's not structurable. We just have to... Put aside our schedules and focus on our children and take their faces in our hands, so to speak, and look at them. Because God wants to use us. God's plan for guiding, nurturing, protecting kids is you, parents, supported by you, grandparents, and nurtured and encouraged by you, aunts and uncles. Or, and you godparents. Some of you here are godparents. I don't really know what that means. I think it's, people become godparents nowadays, and I think it's kind of lost some of its original intent and meaning. Like today, I think it just sort of means like we like you, and you're a special part of our family, and so we dub you the godparent. But you don't have to. I don't know what you do. You give money, I guess. Is that what godparents do? So, so there you go. We're, we're just paying for things again. But like, what if you were like, yeah, as a godparent, you know, I want to pay for your kid to to go to camp, or as a godparent, I want to. You know, talk about God with your kid. They're like, what are you doing talking about God with my kid? Well, I'm the godparent. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's okay then. <laughs> Redefine the role. Use your godparent card. Whatever you have. But let us, let us be active as adults, especially as parents, but also grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever you are, in, in shaping and encouraging that in our kids. Because we are the plan. There is not another plan. We're the plan, and God can use us, even in this often toxic, intrusive, abrasive culture in which we live. God's plan still works. A mother and a father is the ideal plan, raising and shaping children. Well, let me just shift gears really quickly here and um, ask the question, if then we are the teachers, and if then we're the ones God has assigned to teach about him, what is the curriculum? What is it specifically we're supposed to be teaching if parents are the primary tool by which God guides and shapes and leads and protects children, well, what is the primary thing parents are supposed to teach? What's the main subject of our curriculum? Because, you know, parents teach a lot of things. You know, you teach a kid how to throw a baseball, teach them how to ride a bike, teach your daughter how to paint her nails, you teach them how to boil an egg, you help them with their geometry. I mean, there's a ton of things we teach kids. But there is one thing above all else that God made us to teach. 
there's one theme and topic that has to be, you know, the major that we're giving our kids a degree in from parent university. There's a one theme above all else. And of course it is God Himself. So the most important thing that the most important people have to teach is the way of the Lord above all else. And if I've failed to teach my children about the Lord, then I've really sort of missed the point of why God put me in their lives. Again, look back at Ephesians chapter 6. We're still there. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's the key phrase. Or go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 where they, he was saying, impress these things upon your children. Talk about them in the road and here and there. And <clears throat> what is it that they were teaching the children? It was the law of God. Or go back to Proverbs. All these Proverbs are about teaching your kids wisdom. And what's wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to live in this life in a way that pleases and honors God. So the thing we are to teach, the message we are to give, is the Lord and how to know Him and how to follow Him and uh, live for Him. And, and that's so critical because I think we can get off base. We can teach other things. I, I read this uh, quote. It really convicted me this week. So I figured I'd read it to you and convict you as well. You could share in my misery. It's from a commentary. Let me just read you the quote. It says, The primary object of a child's upbringing must be the salvation of his soul. But most people in the world deal with their children as if they were born only for this world with nothing to look for after death. They totally ignore such questions as, how will this or that matter affect their soul? Their only thought is, they must be like everyone else if they are to make their way in the world. And so in all important matters, parents educate them for time, but not for eternity. <clears throat> Think of it this way. Making disciples for Jesus Christ and parenting should be fairly synonymous. What is parenting? It's making a disciple for Christ. Not that any parent has the power to turn their kid into a Christian. That's not something that we can do. The church can't baptize your kid and make him a Christian. Becoming a Christian is something God has to do in their heart. But we can, as parents, like John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. We can make straight paths for him. We can make it so that the kids understand the law of God and the gospel of God so that when God works in their heart, the pathway has been laid. And that's our task as parents is to make disciples of Christ and, and raise our kids that way so that parenting and disciple-making really are the same thing. You have an evangelistic task right before you, which is your own children. You have a teaching task, which is your own children. We need to teach them about the Lord above all else. So let's get really practical for a minute. How do we do that? What does that look like? Okay, teach my kids about the Lord. That sounds inspiring. Okay, what do I do? How do I take those steps? I mean, you know, I was never trained in how to do this. I had parents, and the last thing they ever taught me about was the Lord. So how am I supposed to teach my kids about the Lord? I don't have any role model for this. And may I suggest, just quickly, four things we can do to teach our kids about the Lord. Four important things. Let me just give you four practical things. Number one, we have to teach our kids the Bible. That's sort of the one right out of the gates. Teach your grandkids the Bible. Teach your nephews and nieces the Bible. Teach your godchild the Bible. We need to teach them the Bible. And you say, well, I don't really know the Bible. Well, good, neither do they. It's perfect. You can hang out together and learn it together. Uh, just get a Bible. You know, get um, a little picture Bible. If you have little kids that can't read yet, get those little picture Bibles. There's like a bajillion of them on the market. It doesn't matter. Just get one. 
and read through it. Let the kids sort of discover the basic narrative texture and flow of the Bible. And once your kids are old enough to read, then break out a Bible and sit down with them a couple times a week or, you know, and, and just read through something. My kids, my older kids and I, we finished reading Acts. And right now we're kind of slowly working our way through 1 Samuel. And we just sit down and read it. And sometimes we have great conversations that are sparked from the Bible that go on for 15 minutes. And other times we read it and I'm like, well, what do you think? And they're like, I don't know. And then we pray and then we go to bed. So, you know, it, but the point is you just got to keep at it. You have to keep at it. You know what I find the hardest thing about reading, teaching the Bible to my kids is? You know the hardest thing? Just getting my, off my butt and doing it. That's the hardest thing. Once you do it, then it goes. It's just all that, all those excuses we make. Oh, we're too tired or we don't have time or there's too many things to do. And you just keep putting it off and putting it off. But once you do it, it's not that hard in and of itself. Just open the Bible and, and teach your kids the Bible. Read it with them. Start small and just start learning how to do it. And you'll learn it too. And it's fun. You can talk about it. What does that mean, Dad? Actually, I don't really know. I'll find out. I'll go on Wikipedia or something and figure it out or call up the pastor. But you start learning the Bible for yourself. Because if this is God's Word and God communicates through His Word, then we want to shape our children to know the Lord, then they have to know the Bible. That's just a non-negotiable. So start reading, teaching the Bible with your kids. Uh, I think of Timothy, who was the Apostle Paul. We read about him. We read about Timothy today in Acts. Timothy was Paul's protege. And there's an interesting little thing that's uh, said about Timothy in in the book uh, 2 Timothy. It says, Paul writes to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You've known the Scriptures from infancy. So his mom and his grandmother, we find in 1 Timothy, trained Timothy so that he was ready to hear the Word of the Lord, and then he grows up and he becomes Paul's uh, basically second in command. You know, Train a child up in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So we need to teach them the Scripture. Number two, we have to teach our kids basic morality. We have to teach them what right and wrong is. Uh, start with the Ten Commandments. Right? That's an easy place to start. Uh, we did that in our house. We taught our kids the Ten Commandments. We did this... I don't know who came up with it. We did some really weird little finger thing, like the First Commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me, so you know, just one God. The Second Commandment was like, don't make false idols. And that was like scissors. You know, don't make false idols. And the third one was, uh, oh yeah, it was uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. So it was like a W, watch your words. It got really strained, okay? But you get the point. You just find corny little ways of teaching the Ten Commandments and talk about each one. What does it mean? We have to teach our kids to be respectful. We have to teach our kids not to lie, cheat, and steal. Because here's the thing. Kids are liars, cheaters, and thieves. And so are adults. We're sinners. You know, not my kid. My kid isn't a sinful kid. <laughs> that must, it must be because your kid's an infant, and you will soon discover <laughs> that that is not the case. Sin nature is the easiest thing to see. Uh, it, we're sinful, and sinful. We need to be taught, even as adults, we need to be taught what right and wrong is. And then, parents, when our, ch- when our children violate God's laws, we have to discipline them. That's a critical part of it, discipline. In fact, discipline is so important, and there's so much in the Scriptures about it in Proverbs. My next sermon next Sunday is all about discipline. Not just disciplining kids, 
but also for us as adults, God's discipline in our lives and what that means. But that's a very important part of it. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, next Sunday. Not just parenting, but God's discipline in our lives more generally. So we, we need to teach them the scriptures. We need to teach them what's right and what's wrong and enforce it and drive it home so that they learn what morality is. They are not going to learn values and morality from Clifford or from Dragon Tales okay, or from Sesame Street. Okay, That's not where we get our values and morality. It comes from God's Word through parents as they teach His Word. Number three. Quickly here, we, we, teach, we need to teach them the Scriptures. We need to teach them right from wrong. And then the third thing is, and I, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. I'm still not totally happy with it. But we need, to, we need to teach them how to apply God's Word into the everyday situations of life, which is really what wisdom is. How to take His Word so that as things come up, we're not afraid as parents to just weave God right into it. So it's not like the only time they hear about God is at 7 o'clock at night when we open the Bible and do a little Bible story. But, you know, it's like when they have a problem with a kid at school. Or there's a bully. Or, you know, and we sit down and we talk about it. Or they, they bomb out on a test. And we bring God into that. And we communicate with them about, well, what does that mean? And what, is, what would God have you do? So we begin to think Christianly about those things. When they're sick, do we say, hey, before I give you Motrin, let's pray. And let, let's trust God to heal you in whatever way He's going to heal you. Are we teaching them that way? Uh, when our kids are older and we start watching movies with them and they start you know, moving beyond just Pixar movies and Disney movies and they start to see movies with all kinds of themes in them and messages, do we sit down after a movie and be like, well, what would you think of the movie? Oh, it was cool when that monster came down and you know, destroyed that car. Yeah, yeah, okay. But what about the message? Were you hearing what the, the theology of the movie was? Do you understand what the philosophy of the movie was? Let's talk about that so that our kids are learning to process things uh, that way. I had a great Friday. My family went up just this Friday to uh, New Hampshire. We sort of did a one-day crazy trip up to Conway and then um, went up to Conway and then drove back down. And uh, my wife took the two younger kids to Storyland, which I refer to as Perga Storyland. And um, <laughs> I escaped Perga Story this time. I took the two older kids uh, up and we hiked one of the presidentials. It was great. It was a five-hour hike and we just talked the whole time. I was like, man, this is great. I love just talking to my kids for five hours. And, you know, we talked about all, everything under the sun. We talked, I told them stories from when I was a kid and we'd find toads and things and we'd talk about things we found. And so it was just talking about everything. And we talked about the Lord as well. We just kind of wove it in. They were talking about creation and how amazing this world was. And they were kind of marveling at some things they were seeing. And I was like, I wonder what the new creation is going to be like. They're like, the new creation? What's that? And so we talked about when Christ returns. And it says he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And we're trying to imagine what that world is going to be like. We talked about angels and how they protect us and the dangers of, of spiritual darkness. And we just talked about all kinds of things. But God was woven into it. And so I would encourage you. Just make it normal in your house. Make it normal with your grandkids. Make it normal with your nephews and nieces and with your children to talk about the Lord and apply biblical principles to all areas of life. So teach our kids from the Scripture. Teach them about the Lord from right and wrong. Teach them through the vicissitudes of life. And number four, and this is so important, this is so critical, we have to teach them most importantly, by being examples ourselves of what a godly Christian looks like. We must, above all else, model for them 
a living relationship with Christ. Because we can talk at them till we're blue in the face. But if our lives contradict our message, kids are wicked smart and they will see it like that. They will see right through us. In fact, go back to Proverbs chapter 20. We'll go full circle here and land back in Proverbs chapter 20. Verse 7. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. It says, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Blessed are his children after him. He leads a blameless life and his children are blessed. Because our lives must teach our children. Our children are watching our lives. And so, they not only want to hear the Bible read, they want to know that you study and follow the Bible. They want to know that you pray and not just at dinner. They need to see your involvement in the local church. They need to see when you're going through a crisis and kids just kind of sense that the atmospheric pressure in the house is getting heavy because something's going on. They don't even know what it is. They just know something bad is happening. They need to see you uh, stepping up in faith and saying, you know, we're going to trust God. We're going to pray. They need to see how you face trials and setbacks and how you respond when you lose your job and how you react when your parents die. And they're watching to see how Christians deal with life. They want to look at your marriage and see what does that look like. They're studying all of these things. And we have to be godly Christian before them. As it says, verse 7, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. There was an older gentleman in our church uh, several Sundays back who shared something with me. It was a Sunday when I preached on tithing. You guys remember that sermon? Are you guys doing that sermon? I don't know. Anyway, on uh, tithing. But I, I, preached on, uh, I, I preached on how we need to be honoring God with our wealth and how giving to the local church is a, a critical part of our discipleship. And I preached that from the Proverbs. Anyway, after this long sermon on tithing, I, uh, I was standing at the back shaking hands and this older gentleman walks up and he says, You know... When I was a boy in the Great Depression, and when anyone, when anyone comes up to you and starts a sentence with, when I was a boy in the Great Depression, you need to listen because you're about to hear a life lesson that you're not going to get anywhere else. And so I was like, yes. <laughs> and he says, my father used to always set aside a tenth of everything he got to give to the Lord. And I used to say to him, Dad, you're crazy. What are you doing? We're, we're, you know, we, we can't even feed ourselves here at the table. And my dad would always say, Son, the Lord is going to take care of it. And what, what an example of faith from a man. You know, and he saw that in his dad. Not just preaching at his son, but demonstrating real faith even during the Depression. Honoring God with his finances. And now that man who talked to me, who was a boy during the Depression, this guy, some of you know who he is. I won't mention his name, but some of you know who he is. This guy is a man of faith and prayer. He's... This term is kind of overused, but he really is a prayer warrior. He is a man who daily spends hours in prayer for the Lord, with the Lord, just crying out for this church, praying for me, praying for you. You don't even know who this guy is, and he's praying for you as a congregation. And I'm like, where did he learn that kind of faith? Where did he learn that kind of ability to trust God even when all the circumstances seem to contradict his faith? And the answer, I think, in part has to be examples like that of his parents. Train a child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the proverb. 
And you know, the opposite is true as well. We have to be careful not to undercut that message by contradicting it with our lives, uh, by living in ways that contradict what we're preaching to our children and the Sunday school lessons that they're learning. We need to make sure that we're not being hypocrites. You know, we read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. One of the best ways to exasperate your children, if you want to exasperate them, is preach one thing and do another. That'll really frustrate them. Do a lot of God talk and then undercut it with a hypocritical life. That, that really will exasperate them in their search for the Lord. Not that it's, you can't overcome it, but it's a hindrance. I, read, I found this little thing. It's funny. I'll, I'll read it to you. It's a collection. It's a list that was made by a Sunday school class in New Jersey where the, the lady who taught the class asked the group of 10-year-olds in the class the question, what is wrong with grown-ups? And they made a list. And let me read, I'm not going to read them all, but let me read you some of the things they said are wrong with grown-ups. Number one, grown-ups make promises. Then they forget all about them, or else they say it wasn't really a promise, it was just a maybe. Grown-ups don't do the things they're always telling the children to do, like pick up their things, or be neat, or always tell the truth. Or this one, grown-ups make mistakes, but they won't admit them. They always pretend that they weren't mistakes at all, or that somebody else made them. Isn't it hard to say sorry to your kids or admit you're wrong? It's just, it's hard. It's humbling. I had to do that a, a couple of weeks ago. We were up in New Hampshire on another trip. Um, I'm trying to get up and do something every weekend with my kids this summer. It's one of my personal goals this summer, just to not let the summer go by. But anyway, we were up in New Hampshire, and uh, we were camping out, and we had a rainy day. We were going to cook out, but then the rain came, so we went out to eat and went to this Mexican restaurant. I was wicked hungry. I know it's hard to imagine, but I was really hungry. <laughs> And I went to this Mexican restaurant. I'm looking at the menu, and they had a $15 chimichanga. And I was like, oh, that's got to be. I love chimichangas. It's basically like a fried burrito. Was, I'm like, that has got to be so good. 15 bucks. I bet you're going to get like a whole cow in there. I was really very hungry. And so I ordered it, and they finally bring out our food, and we're all sitting around the table. And, and they put this thing in front of me. It's, it's like that big. It was smaller than my TV remote. I'm telling you. And I'm like, you know. And so I just asked the waiter. I, I thought it might be a mistake. I was like, is, is that the chimichanga? He's like, yep. And then I said, is that the $15 chimichanga? And he could see I was upset at that point. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I, just typically, I've ordered a lot of chimichangas in my life, and this is not what one of them looks like. You know, I was getting tense, and you know, now it's getting like awkward. <laughs> and so my wife says very respectfully, she says, "Jeremy, don't act like this." And I'm like, Ugh. you know. And then, so he drops all the food off and he walks away. And now, sort of in our household tradition, at dinner time, I'm the one who prays. So now I have to pray and thank God for. <laughs> to hear God, we thank you for this food, you know. And after I've done the whole mad dad routine. And uh, so there's kind of this sort of uneasy pall that hangs over the rest of the evening. And finally, it, it's time to, you know, put the kids in bed back at the tent. And we go around and do our prayer time. And, um, and you know, I was like, oh, let's everyone pray and thank God for things today. And finally came to me, and I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I have to pray about this because this is just wrong. My kids saw this whole thing. So I said, dear Lord, you know, in addition, thank you for this day and thank you for that. And I said, just forgive me for how mean I was to that waiter. And Lord, forgive me for not being grateful for the things you gave me. You know, amen. Everyone's like, amen. And then we all went to bed. And, 
And you know, it's, you think about it, you're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I mean, trust me, that chimichanga was not a big deal. <laughs> not that I'm still bitter or anything, but... But it's not a big deal. It's just it's a chimichanga. I mean, what's the big deal? And I said, I said, sorry. I mean, maybe it'd be like, Jeremy, you know, let it go. It's not a big deal. But you know what is a big deal? You know what's a huge deal? The huge deal is my children need to learn the gospel. Which means, in terms of my life, they need to see that their dad is a sinner saved by grace in Jesus Christ alone. They need to see that their dad needs Christ to be saved. That it doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. That's completely irrelevant. That I am saved on the basis of the gracious blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And apart from that, I have no salvation. They need to see that, not just hear me talk about it. Because something's going to happen. I think it may have already started happening sometimes. They're going to start to figure out that mom and dad have many flaws. They're going to start to see it. I suspect they probably already see it, and maybe they're even talking about it amongst themselves. <laughs> and, and if their understanding of Christianity is, is just be good, then they've missed it, because they're going to see that dad isn't good. But they need to understand the message of Christianity is that Christ came to save sinners, that that's the message, and that dad is saved by grace. And something else is going to happen. They're going to get older, and as they become adults, they are going to suddenly discover that they are incapable of keeping the moral code that I am teaching them as children. That they cannot obey the very code of right and wrong that comes from the Bible. That they will look inside themselves, and no matter how hard they try, how religious they try to be, they will discover, as I have discovered, that my sin nature is too dominant and that I cannot save myself by simple morality or trying to be a decent person. They will have to come to that place of understanding themselves that they are sinners in need of a Savior if they haven't already. And so I want them to know the Gospel. That salvation is through faith in Christ, not by works, not by religion, but only by His blood shed on the cross. And they need to see it, not just hear it, they need to see Dad living out the humility of the gospel before them. That is so critical. So we have to live the gospel, not just preach it and teach it. Have you ever come to faith in Christ? I mean, before you can even do this, you have to come to faith in Christ. Have you come to faith in Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Do you believe in a gospel that you can even live out before them? Or is that still kind of like, eh, I don't know. Maybe you're thinking like, oh, it's too late for me. My kids are grown. You know, they have kids of their own. It's never too late. What an impact it might have if, if a 60-year-old or a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old stood up before his family and said, I was blind, but now I see. I have come to see that my life and all the injuries I've caused you throughout my life have been in contrary to God's law and I've been forgiven in Christ. Could it be even that now you might still have an impact upon your family for the Gospel? by showing them what the Gospel can do, even in the life of somebody who's well past child-rearing years. It is never too late, never too late to come to Christ. There's nothing keeping you back but your own obstinance. So lay down your arms, confess your sin, and put your faith in Christ as your own Savior for the sake of your own soul and for the sake of your families. In Jesus' name, let's pray.
Lord, I just pray now for all parents here that You would give them the grace to be active, engaged parents who are teaching them about You. Lord, give us grace and creativity to think through how to put these things into practice. God, I pray for any single parents here who have the uh, difficulty of being both a father and mother to their child. God, I pray that You would give them uh, an extra helping of grace this morning because they're tired and they're worn out from trying to raise the family themselves. Lord, I pray give them that energy they need to engage actively as those spiritual uh, teachers. Lord, I pray for parents who've raised their kids that the seeds of faith that have been sown would come to fruition, that as those parents wait patiently by their children, that they would see faith sprouting that has been planted there long ago. God, I pray for grandparents and aunts and uncles that they would be actively involved in their kids' lives, Lord. And I pray for the children of this church that you would raise up a harvest of salvation among the kids in this congregation, that, Lord, one by one, child by child, you would reach in their hearts and turn on the light cause Christ to dwell inside of them. And so, Lord, may we be a church that spawns a new generation of faith by your power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please look to the back of the bulletin and you'll find the words to how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. And would you please stand? And let's join together in singing of the one who has caused our blind eyes to see.
service our prayer team Dan and Elizabeth Bass are going to be over in this corner and they love to pray with you confidentially about anything that's going on in your life and don't forget to come back tonight at 7 p.m. for the King's Brass concert it's going to be awesome and now let's bow our heads again Lord I just pray that you'd go with us now as we go out into the world Lord that we might uh, be living examples to this culture of a different way of life a life that's founded in Christ so Lord use us and our families as a witness for you and we pray this in Christ's name Amen